want to remind you that after um, we hear our, the message this evening that we will be um, having uh, participating in candle lighting. So I hope most everybody has a candle at this point because we'll be lighting them right after um, the message is over. Um, I want to talk to us tonight from Galatians chapter 4, um, verses 4 through 7. There are, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the chairs. If you just listen, though, I think you'll be able to hear um, what this message has to say to us this evening. This is what God's Word says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Now, there, there are many things we could talk about this evening, and I've chosen not to read one of the familiar passages. We're going to read those on Sunday, so I invite you back if you're looking to hear from Matthew and Luke. We'll, we'll, we'll hear from them on Sunday morning. But this evening, I wanted to take a look at Galatians because it really fits with the whole thing we've been, the theme we're looking at this evening that God created a world with a purpose, that man fell, and that God has spent the rest of Scripture saying, this is what I'm up to to help you. Now, I want you to think about why we celebrate Christmas. I want us to kind of cry out with Charlie Brown, what's the big deal about Christmas, right? Isn't that what he says? He says, what is Christmas all about? Well, here's the thing I want us to think about. There are a lot of people in our culture who think that Christmas is about giving gifts. It's about Santa, right? And in that little uh, story with Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, Lucy says, you know, ho, 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 and pretty trees, and pretty girls, and pretty things, and all those good things. And there are people who that really is what Christmas is about. That's why they like Christmas. That's why for them it's the most wonderful time of the year. For others, they think a little more seriously about it than just gifts, and they think about the fact that Christmas is about helping other people. It's about giving of ourselves. It's not about taking. We kind of think about a Christmas carol. We think about, you know, we want to get the Scrooge out of us. We all have a little Scrooge in us, and we want to suppress that Scrooge and let the inner goodness that somewhere dwells within us out. And to be kind to other people and to give generously to them and to help the poor and the disenfranchised. And that's what many people think Christmas is about. But the Bible says that what Christmas is all about is this. Not what we give, but what we were given. And see, that's what Galatians 4 starts out with. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. See, the whole point of the gospel, the good news concerning Jesus Christ is not what we give to God. It's what God has given to us. And what this passage primarily points out is what God has given to us is a return to being sons of the living God, to being His children, removed from the slavery and the bondage to sin that we enslaved ourselves in and that our father Adam enslaved us in first and that we continue to perpetuate in ourselves. See, what the Bible's premise is, is that there's no inner goodness you can unsuppress. The reality is, is that we suppress the truth that tells us 
If left to ourselves, we would not really be kind. We would not really be good. We would not really go out and try and help other people. If left to ourselves, with no government and no rule and no law, we would destroy one another. We have two world wars and multiple wars scattered all about it over the last century and into the present century to prove that fact to be true. Human beings do not generally act kind to one another. They seek to destroy one another and to gain power. Now that's what makes this so striking, is that what Scripture tells us is the God who held all the power gave it up to come become a human being. He could have come down with a sword and a rod, but he didn't. He came down as an infant. And what I want us to look at for a few moments here in this passage then are three points very quickly. But it is the reality of this, that God has come, that a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, actively love us and are actively engaged in helping us and redeeming us. Here are the three points I want us to look at. The first one is this. What is Christmas all about? You're not forsaken. You're not forsaken. Well, how do we know that? Well, look at what the passage tells us. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God the Father sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time... In other words, the idea here is, is that God is involved in history. That God has been involved in history... Not history hasn't been going on despite God. History has been going on under God's care and kindness. Human beings should have been allowed to just run amok and kill one another. But God in His kindness has not allowed us to utterly destroy one another, to not utterly annihilate one another. Rather, in His kindness, He has continued to guard and watch over history so that at the right time, at the fullness of time, he sent forth His Son to redeem human beings, to help us, to care for us, to love us, so that we would know you've not been forsaken. Unless you think it was all, that's why we've been reading these Scriptures, realize all the Scriptures are being written throughout human history to remind us, I've not forgotten you. You're not forsaken. That's why He spoke to Moses and the prophets and kept telling them, one is coming, one is coming. You're to be a light to the nations. One is coming, one is coming. Keep believing. Keep telling people, you are not forsaken. You have a Father who loves you and remembers you and cares for you. Now, the second point I want us to look at is you are not abandoned. For a lot of people, they've literally experienced this. I've, when I used to work at the university, I've had students and I've had other people that I've come in contact with that literally, for all intents and purposes and in reality, their parents and family abandoned them. Some people were abandoned because they just were ignored. They just were not, their parents just didn't care about them. They were just ignored. Their parents did what they wanted to do. Their siblings did what they wanted to do. And they were just an ignored commodity in the home. Other people literally were physically abandoned when they were 12 or 13 or 14 years old. And they literally raised themselves on the street. I've interacted with those kind of folks. And, and you know, people come out different ways through that. And it's, it's difficult. It's, it's hard. But for many of us, especially at this time of year, where a lot of people are getting together with family and friends, 
there are people who feel abandoned. No one really cares whether I live or die. This time of year is a time when suicides go up dramatically because people feel abandoned. And what this passage is reminding us of is this. God didn't abandon us. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ came and united himself to human beings. He didn't abandon the human race. He united himself to it. He became one of us. He was born under the law. He lived and endured the same struggles and hardships we have to endure day after day. He was born, and unlike what some of the songs tell us, Jesus had to have his diapers changed. There wasn't any, any yellow halo over the top of his head. When you looked at Jesus, he was just a normal Jewish baby. Jesus skinned his knee. He skinned his elbows. He got colds. He had to endure the struggles and the hurts and the pains of this life, just like you and I did, just like you and I do. We've not been abandoned. God has come to unite himself with us forever. And so the second thing we want to think about as we think about being made sons of God is that we've not been abandoned. God has come in the flesh to be with us, to care for us. And that then leads me to the third point, and that is you are not alone. Listen to what 6 says. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. See, what we need to understand is, is that we've been adopted. We're not alone. We're not left out on our own, even if you've been forsaken by an earthly family. What this passage is telling you is, is that the God who made you and made the people who have forsaken you, possibly, or left you alone or abandoned you, that God has said, but I'll be a family to you. The very God of the universe has said, I not only am willing to unite myself to you, but I'm actually willing to pour out a part of me into you. Romans 5 tells us that the love of God has been poured out into us by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, Holy Spirit, has come to dwell in human beings who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is telling us. Now, the final thing I want to say as we conclude here is this. Many of us have heard the story of the prodigal son. That's actually a poorly named, poorly named passage of Scripture. Some people have wised up and said, well, it's actually the story of the prodigal sons. There's the younger son who runs off to a foreign country and blows all his father's money and basically tells his dad, I wish you were dead. Because when you ask for your inheritance before your parents are dead, what you're kind of saying is, I wish you were dead so I could get the money. All you are to me is a bankroll, a portfolio. That's what I want. The older son Basically, when the younger son returns and the father rejoices all over that son and kills the fatted calf and puts a brand new robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, puts sandals on his feet, loves all over that kid, the older brother says, all these years I've been slaving for you. And you've never even given me a kid. To which the father says, all that I have is yours. But when your brother returned, we had to rejoice. We had 
to kill the calf. What else could you do in light of this rebellious one coming home? And of course, the elder brother says, be very self-righteous and look down on him and kick him out with the servants at best. That's what you could do. See, what the real message of that story is, is what Galatians 4 is telling us this. It's not really a story about the prodigal sons. It's really the story of a prodigal God. And what I mean by that is this, that Jesus Christ actually left the riches of heaven, not clutching after them, Philippians tells us, but coming to earth as a man in the form of a servant and a slave, suffering and enduring everything that we should have endured. He gave up the glories and the riches of heaven and became a prodigal so that we who are prodigals might become sons of the living God. That's the real story of Scripture. That's what Christmas is all about, is God coming to save human beings who were far from Him. And He was willing to actually be forsaken, abandoned on the cross, and alone so that we might never be forsaken, never be abandoned, never be alone. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that the readings of these scriptures, the preaching of the word this evening, and the hymns and the carols and the songs we're singing might draw you to once again reconsider the realities of what God has done for us and that you might place your faith in the only one who can save you from your sins. May God make it so. Amen.